Hi, this is Pastor Curtis. I want to thank you for checking out the Family Church Podcast. I hope it encourages you and inspires you to take your next step of faith. You can find out more about how to do that at our website, familychurch.xyz. And if you know a friend who needs to hear this message, please forward it on to them. I hope you enjoy the message. Good morning, everyone. We are starting a new series this morning. This is the series that all the ladies have been anxiously waiting for and all the men have been dreading, right? Uh, Seriously, that's kind of the stereotype, isn't it? See, ladies, you need to understand, men think of relationships the way that most of you think about a car. We don't want to work on it, right? We just want it to work. We just want it to work, right? So when you say, ladies, when you say, let's talk about a relationship, what we hear is there's something wrong with us, and you know how to fix us, okay? And, and see, us guys don't do, we don't, we don't do real well with that word fix. Because, see, we, we took the dog to the vet to get fixed. And so we know what happens when people get fixed. So we don't do, it makes us nervous when you talk about wanting to fix us. So, ladies, maybe something like this has happened to you uh, at some point in your marriage. Uh, you had dinner ready, and you've already called for your husband three times, and he hasn't come, and the kids are all there, and the food's getting cold. And so you peek out into the driveway, and he's got the hood of the car up. And he's looking at the engine. So you say, is there something wrong with the car? You're snickering because you know he doesn't know anything about engines anyway. But anyway, so he's looking down there. And you're like, hey, is something wrong with the car? And he says, no, I'm just checking. And ladies, see, you're you're thinking as long as it's not broken down by the side of the road, do you really need to check it? That's what we think about relationships, ladies. That's how we think about relationships. If it ain't broke down on the side of the road, do we really need to fix it? Talk about it. Well, and the answer is yes, we do, because unfortunately, there are marriages, far too many marriages, that are broke down along the side of the road, and uh, either uh, one of the spouses or neither one of the spouses uh, wants to admit it, because come on, it is hard to admit that your marriage is broken or stalled along the side of the road somewhere and in need of some attention. So for the next four weeks, we're going to talk about relationships, not just marriage. Marriage will be the primary focus, but we're also going to talk about relationships at different other levels as well. There's going to be something for everyone in this series because pretty much everyone here this morning either is married, has been married, or is going to get married. Okay, so there's going to be something for everyone. So as we begin this new series, and I'm going to ask uh, Kyle and Mike to help me out here with this illustrated sermon. Uh, But as we begin this new series, I want to begin by confronting uh, head-on some of the different things that uh, lead to tension and conflict in a marriage. And these are pretty much universal. You're going to find these in, in, in most marriages. Uh, these are things that are common to most marriages. On your wedding day, ladies, when you walked down the aisle, you were carrying a box. You didn't know it. You couldn't see it because it was an invisible box but you were carrying that down the aisle. And guys, as you were standing at the front of the sanctuary or wherever, front of wherever you got married, between the pastor and your best man, you were holding a box as well. Again, it wasn't a visible box. It was an invisible box, right? And inside this box were your hopes, dreams, and desires. All those things that when you thought about that date, when you thought about your wedding day, these are the things that you kind of thought about, right? And and some of those things 
some of those things are things like money. You know, how, what kind of jobs you're going to have. Are, are, are both husband and wife going to work? Is it going to be a one-income family, two-income family? Uh, but money um, was, was one of those expectations or one of those uh, uh, hopes, dreams, and desires that was in that box. Uh, another thing uh, that was in that box uh, is uh, where you're going to live. Where you're going to live, and the guys are like, "It's a nice little A-frame there." Uh, so, uh, but you thought of, and even if you're going to rent, man, most couples do when they first get married. But at some point in time, you're, you, you're thinking about buying a house. Everyone wants to have their own house, right? So this this is another uh, hope, dream, and desire uh, that 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 was in that box. Um, and uh, and then of course, uh, children. Well, she had a bad hair day. Uh, but you know, you think about how many how many children. Uh, what your family is going to look like. You know, you're going to have one. Uh, you're going to have two. Um, you're going to have three. And it's like, well, you know, we've got to try for a boy. And we all know how that goes, right? Uh, so uh, there you go. you got another girl, right? And, heck, let's try one more time, honey. Whoops. All right. And you got five girls. But, but children, children are another thing that are part of those hopes, dreams, and desires that are in that box. And then uh, you also have uh, in that box uh, chores. What are chores going to look like in your marriage, in, in your home? Who's going to do what, okay? Uh, who's going to take out the trash? Who's going to do the laundry? Who's going to do the cleaning uh, and so forth? Uh, and then, of course, uh, what are you going to drive? See? And, uh, you know, guys are thinking, yeah, something like that, you know. Of course, the gals are thinking of something more family-friendly, like a minivan. And uh, I asked uh, April Wilhite, does Sutton have a little toy minivan? And she said, who has a toy minivan, right? Uh, but anyway, your wife's maybe thinking a little bit something different um, than that, right? Uh, so you got hopes, expectations, uh, dreams, about, I mean, hopes, dreams, and desires about what you're going to drive. Uh, and then time. Uh, another thing in that, in your hopes, dreams, and desires box, how are you going to spend your time? Is it going to be one of those marriages? Well, you know, sometimes, you know, certain days that you get to hang out with your friends and she hangs out with her friends and then sometimes you hang out together or is it going to be, no, 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 we're doing everything together. But again, those, those are the, you know, kind of hopes. What you think, what you thought of when you think about your marriage, how are you going to spend your discretionary time like that? Um, and then another thing, uh, that is in uh, that box is uh, holidays. And uh, honestly, and those of you that have been married know this, you know, sometimes you didn't realize holidays would be such a challenge. But sometimes they are, aren't they? Because, you know, you were used to doing things a certain way. And, and so, you know, when Sue and I got married, she said, honey, I just, want, I just want to spend three holidays with my family. Thanksgiving, Christmas, and Easter. You can have Groundhog Day, Halloween, <laughs> and Veterans Day, right, or whatever. But anyway, holidays, you know, how, how you're going to spend um, holidays, right? And then, um, and then of course, um, there are expectations uh, with regards to, because um, he's thinking at bedtime when you come out of the bathroom, his expectation is you're not wearing this. But she's thinking, he loves me. He just wants me to be comfortable, so he'll be okay if I wear this. Think again, ladies, right? Okay, but there's expectations regarding that. 
And then there's also uh, uh, these hopes, dreams, and desires uh, regarding um, conflict resolution. And I was going to get a set of boxing gloves, but I thought that might not be too cool in this day and age. But anyway, uh, you know, because different people, with, you know, people processed conflict differently in their homes. You know, some, some families just hashed it out, man. They just got it out there, and then they hugged and made up. Some families just swept it under the, you just didn't talk about it, right? And the guys are thinking, conflict resolution, isn't that what makeup sex is for, right? But anyway, so we've got all these. So guys, thank you very much. You can take these back now. And, uh, and there are several things, there are several things that impact what we put in that box. But the thing that has the greatest influence and impact on our hopes, dreams, and desires is what we experienced growing up. What we saw modeled in our parents' marriage. That's why, think about this, that's why we're either trying to avoid something bad or recreate something good that we saw in our parents' marriage. We're doing, we're doing one of those two things. So the things we put in our box are either things that help us avoid something or things that help us recreate something. But here's the thing. At some point in the relationship, and we don't even know when it's happening, it's so subtle. It's not like all of a sudden we realize it. No, 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 it sneaks up on us. But at some point in the relationship, it could be while you're dating, it could be you know after you're engaged, it could be at the altar, it could be a month after your marriage, a year after your marriage. No one knows for sure because it's different for everyone, right? But at some point along the way, we just can't help ourselves. We essentially take our box of hopes, dreams, and desires, and we say, here, make them come true. We give them to our spouse and say, make them come true, right? The reason, the reason I asked you to marry me, the reason I said yes when you asked me to marry you, the reason I walked down the aisle with you is because in my mind, this is what the future looks like, and I need you to make it happen. And at that point, those hopes, dreams, and desires become expectations. And that is a problem. That is a problem. Because when you hand those over to your spouse, expecting them to make them come true, see, those things don't feel like hopes, dreams, and desires for the person receiving them. In fact, they feel like a burden, right? They feel like a burden. They feel like a weight. To them, it feels like homework like a homework assignment. To, to them, it feels like if you don't come through, you might be disappointed with them. Anytime, anytime we attempt to recreate or avoid something from the past, it transforms our hopes, dreams, and desires into expectations. So she dumps all of her hopes, dreams, and desires into his box, and he dumps all of his hopes, dreams, and desires into her box. And at that point, they become expectations, which quickly transform into burdens. And when this happens, we respond in one of five ways. And we're going to look at the first four today and look at the fifth one next week. The first way we respond when this happens is, and this is the most extreme thing, but we leave. We leave. We just say, you know what? That's not what I had in mind. That's not what I signed up for. You didn't tell me any of this when we were engaged. I've been duped. False advertising. I'm leaving. I cannot meet those expectations. I'll never live up to what you want me to live up to. This will never be a reality for us. I don't want to live with the pressure, so bye. I'm out of here. That's the first response. But you need to understand, you know what you do when you leave? 
what you do is you pick up that box and you carry it with you. And guess what? When you come up that next relationship, you're carrying that same box. It goes with you. It goes with you, right? The second thing we do if we don't leave is we win. We win. In every relationship, listen, in every relationship, there's usually a, a stronger personality. And the one with the stronger personality is usually able to power up during a conflict or disagreement, which causes the other one to kind of back off or give in. And the one who powers up wins, right? And they, and they, and they win by usually leveraging these four things. And they all begin with C to help you remember them, right? Here are the four C's that lead to, to a dysfunctional and sometimes fractured marriage. First of all, you convince. Then you convict, and you control, and you coerce. You convince. You power up and say, look, I realize this is how you thought it was going to be, but you're wrong. But you're wrong. Honey, I realize that this is how you always dealt with conflict in your family, but let me tell you how it's going to be. See, see, honey, you have the wrong box. Yours is the bad box. Mine is the good box, right? My box is how the world works. If you'll just trust me and live the life that I want you to live and become more like me, you'll be happier. Because aren't people always happier when they try to become like someone else? Because aren't people always happier when they throw away and abandon who they are and who God created them to be, to be like someone else? I'm speaking tongue-in-cheek here in case you haven't figured it out. So, honey, if you'll just abandon everything in your box and embrace mine, it'll all work out. You convince and you convict. In other words, you make them feel guilty. Honey, I'm not mean to be critical here, but man, that's just a ridiculous idea. I don't want to be critical, but did that work out for your parents? Right? I mean, I don't want to judge you or judge your family, but come on, their marriage was a train wreck, right? So we're not going to do it that way. And then once we convict, it's easier to control and coerce. And at the end of the day, at the end of the day, the winner is happy and the loser is not. For the winner, life is great. Life is great. They're living out their dream, and they've got somebody to help them live out their dream, and they can't quite figure out what's wrong with him or what's wrong with her. The third response is just a flip side to the person or the opposite to the, the person who wins. The third response is we conform. We conform. We, we become somebody we're not supposed to in order to compensate for somebody who won't love us, someone who won't accept us as we are. We abandon who we are in order to embrace what makes another person happy, regardless of whether or not it works for us. And you know what? That, that can work. That, that, that can work for a while. Conforming works for a while for the spouse who won. But in a way, it kind of works for the for the conformed spouse as well, because the temperature goes down in the relationship. The tension goes down. You know, because as long, because you're thinking as long as he's happy or as long as she's happy, I'll, I'll just make it work. I'll, I'll just deal with it. It's one of those choose your battles type mindsets, right? So you can make it work, but it's, it's, it's not a very healthy marriage, right? You know, you just say, it's not my dream. It's not my hope. It's not my desire. It's not what I expected. But you know what? If he's happy, if she's happy, I'll just deal with it. But at the end of the day, when somebody in a relationship is simply giving up who they are to become somebody they're not, what happens is you end up losing respect for the partner, for your partner. Both ways. Both ways. And then the fourth response, when we dump all our hopes, dreams, and desires into this expectation box, this is probably the most common response. We compromise. 
In fact, I think for many people, they think this is, this is the goal, that this is the win. This is how you stay married. You just compromise. And see, this is what many of you probably saw play out in your parents' marriage. They, they, just made it, they just made it work. They compromised in order to make it work. They weren't real happy, necessarily. They just worked it out. But see, a compromised marriage takes its toll as well because in a compromised marriage, both spouses keep score. When both spouses compromise, then you're keeping score, right? Because you're thinking, I'm going to do my part, and you're going to do your part, and I'm going to keep an eye on you, make sure you're doing your part, and you're watching me to make sure I do my part. So everyone's keeping score. A compromised marriage usually has an unwritten contract. So we agree, you know, like, for example, this year was we spent with my family for this holiday. Next year we're going to spend with yours. But the problem with a compromised marriage is it creates a lack of trust. Over time, it creates a lack of trust. In fact, the trust continues to become less and less. And where there's low trust, listen to me, where there's low trust, there's low intimacy. All right? Because you can't be intimate with someone that you're not willing to fully give yourself to. And you'll not fully give yourself to someone that you don't completely trust. And that is truth I just dropped on you right there. In fact, you single folks, actually all of you, listen up. You want to know the secret to great sex in your marriage? Surprise, it has nothing to do with sex. It doesn't even have anything to do with anything physical. It doesn't. Because intimacy is tied to trust. Now, you can obviously have sex apart from intimacy, but come on. Come on. That's just a physical act is all it is. That's all it is. Sex apart from intimacy, that's just an act, right? Now, you can have sex without intimacy, and people do it all the time. But man, when you have that intimacy, when that trust level is up there and there's that intimacy, then you can have the type of amazing sex that God had in mind when he created us for that capacity. But that's for a separate sermon. It's not what it could be. And I don't care how fulfilling you think your sex life is right now, if there's no real intimacy, it won't reach that level of amazing sex that God had in mind when he created us for that fulfillment, right? Because when there's no intimacy, everybody's a little bit on guard, lest they be taken advantage of, right? The other thing about compromise is this. It's very subtle. But at the end of the day, a compromised relationship is fueled by commitment to the wrong thing. Because there are a lot of marriages that are being held together by a commitment to the marriage, not to the person. How many of you ever heard someone say, I'm committed to this marriage? And you kind of know what they're saying, but you think about the implications of that statement. I'm committed to that marriage, right? And on the surface, it sounds good, but come on. Nobody marries a marriage. You marry a person, right? Before you got married, you didn't date a relationship. You dated a person. And last I was talking to Mallory and Gage, I said, you know, Mallory's not engaged to a relationship. She's engaged, she's engaged to Gage. Same with Gage. Nobody is engaged to a relationship. When we begin dumping all our hopes, dreams, and desires into the expectation box, we leave we try to win, we conform, or we compromise. And ultimately, we lose. Ultimately, we lose. That's the bad news. The good news is there's a fifth option, a fifth response. And that's what we're going to spend most of next week talking about. But for the next few minutes as we wind this down, I want to kind of frame the problem in a way that maybe will help you and help us understand exactly where we're headed 
for the next couple of weeks. In any relationship, expectations create a debt-debtor relationship. In other words, whenever I put all my hopes, dreams, and desires on you or on someone else and expect them to do something for me, right, at that moment, I live under the assumption that they owe me. And same with the other spouse when they put them in that box. Which means, okay, which means we're committing our lives to each other, which means these, these are my hopes, dreams, and desires, and now that I'm handing them to you, this is what you owe me. You are in debt to me. You owe me, you owe me how to resolve conflict. You owe me how to make sure that, I, uh, uh, that we in, uh, enjoy the holidays uh, the right way properly. You owe me the responsibility to make sure that we have enough money to pay the bills. You owe me to provide for me. You owe me to make sure the house is clean. You owe me to stay fit and stay in shape. You owe me patience. You owe me kids. You, you owe those kids time after we have kids. You owe, you owe, you owe, right? And even though both of you are in debt to each other, it creates this debt-debtor relationship, which is not what God ultimately had in mind when he put the first man and woman together. See, it boils down to this. This is what you're supposed to do. This is what you're supposed to do. That's, that's what a man does. That's what a man does. That's what my father did. Or that's what a woman does. That's what my mother did. Right? That's what men are supposed to do. That's what wives are supposed to do. Now, here's a question for you. How much gratitude... Do you express to people who pay you what they owe you? Right. How much gratitude do you express to people who simply do what they're supposed to do? And the answer is minimal or none. Right? Minimal or none. We rarely express gratitude for what we've come to expect. When you send in your house payment each month, do you get a thank you note from the mortgage company? Thank you so much. for sending. No. You're doing what you signed up for. That's what's expected of you, right? That's just the way the world works. That's why, and I'm not saying it's right, but I don't think, Sue, when she folds up my clothes and my underwear, my socks, when I take them out of the dryer and throw them up on the couch. She has done that for probably 40 years. And, and I hate to admit this, but I just come to expect it, right? I just come to expect it. Not once have I said, wow, honey, thank you so much for folding up my underwear and socks and T-shirts. I just got so accustomed to her doing it that I quit expressing gratitude for it. But gratitude says, I didn't expect that. And I want you to know I'm, I'm grateful for it. And there are two things about gratitude that every couple needs to know. First, it's doable. Everyone can do this. It's not beyond the realm of your capacity to do. Everyone can be grateful. Second, and this is the most important one, gratitude keeps you from putting your hopes, dreams, and desires into the expectation box. It'll keep you from doing that, which keeps the marriage from deteriorating to this debt, debt, or relationship. So you want to jumpstart your marriage? Start being grateful because great gratefulness is an indication that you've not filled up the box of expectations. The other thing about an ungrateful debt-debtor relationship is it'll, it eliminates the possibility of unconditional love. Because if you owe me, right, you can't, you can't really love me. In fact, owe me actually eliminates love me. Owe me eliminates the possibility of love me. A week from today is Valentine's Day. 
if I owe Sue flowers, after all, it's Valentine's Day, where are the flowers, honey? Oh, okay, here are the flowers. See, at that point, I'm just getting flush. I'm just balancing the book at that point because she expected them. So I haven't really done anything great at all, right? Which, by the way, is a poor illustration for us because Sue's not a flower person. But you get the point, right? You get the point. But by getting her something she expected me to get, I'm just kind of getting back to zero at that point. Or if it's the other way around, well, it's Christmas. Where's my gift, honey? Well, so she gives me a gift. Well, we're, we're just back to zero. See, if I owe you, I can't love you because love requires margin. Love does not do well in an environment of expectation. In fact, it's hard to recognize love in a relationship where there are expectations present. You can't even see it when it's happening. Why? Because it's what I expected. It's what I'm accustomed to. That's what I'm used to. She always does, or he's always done that. My father always did. My mother always did. It's what couples are supposed to do. And he's meeting the expectations, and she's meeting the expectations in a relationship. And when that happens, you eliminate the potential for love to even be recognized or expressed. This is why a box full of expectations undermines intimacy in a relationship because this feels like pressure every single day of the week. If I meet your expectations, we're back to even. But I can't even do enough to make you feel like I love you. And it's this vicious cycle. And in fact, it doesn't feel like I ever do enough because there's always something more that you're expecting. And see, that's no way to live. That's not a marriage. And the good news is you don't have to live that way. So a couple of questions as we wind down this first message. Here's the question. What should we do with our hopes, dreams, and desires? What should we do with them? Right? Do we just pretend? I never wanted children. I don't care how we spend our time. I don't need a house. Just put a tent up at Hillsdale. I'll be fine out there. Right? I don't care what I drive. Just give me a wagon. Surf, you know, I don't care. I'll do all the chores. Who needs money? Alan Jackson's Living on Love is our song. Love will keep us going. We don't need any of that. What do you do with all those? Do you just ignore them? No. Deny them? No. See, for some of you, you've spent years filling up that box. And you know what? Much of what is in that box, they're good things. They're not necessarily bad things. In fact, they're probably all good things. But what do we do with this? Do we just feel guilty about it? Pretend? Hide? Ignore them? The short answer is, what you do with them is, you keep them. You keep them. All right. How do you do that? How do I keep all that stuff in that hopes, dreams, and desire box and not put it over there into the expectation box and hand it to my spouse? How do I keep them in that box? The answer to that question is actually another question. But I'm going to tell you up front, you're not going to like the answer to the second question. Tell you the answer, but again, you're not going to like it. What you, you got to answer this question. What does my spouse owe me? And Lisa McDaniel, what is the answer to that? Because she's been to marriage encounter. Nothing. Your spouse owes you nothing. Right? And happy couples, listen, happy couples know this. Couples that have a, a, a great marriage, not a, not a good, but great marriage, a fulfilling, satisfying marriage, they know this. 
and, and see here, this is, this is this morning's big idea. Happy couples know that they owe each other everything but are not owed anything in return. And we read that and we're like, what? That makes no sense whatsoever. And you're right, from our selfish, carnal point of view, it doesn't make any sense. But I challenge you to think about any couple that you know that, that has a great marriage. And, and, and there's just something about them because they've been through so much, so much heartache, so much tragedy, and yet there's just something there. It's like, man, what do they have? What they have is they know that they owe their spouse nothing. They owe their spouse nothing. All right? And I submit to you that they're living out that greatest commandment that Jesus gave within the context of their marriage. What is the greatest commandment? I'm glad you asked that. Towards the end of his life and ministry, Jesus got his guys together, his posse, his 12 apostles, and he said, now look, guys, I know growing up, you guys were used to hundreds of commands because, frankly, between the time that God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, between then and the time Jesus came along, the religious leaders, the scribes and Pharisees had converted those Ten Commandments into over 600 of them, right? But Jesus came on the scene and streamlined those not those 630, not back to 10, but back to 2. And then he even streamlined that even further back to 1. John 13, 34. And here was the single most important commandment. John 13, 34. A new commandment. Jesus told them, this is a new one, guys. This is a, and they're thinking, new? Yeah, this is a new one. I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Jesus said, look, as I have loved you, you're to love one another. In the old days, it was do unto others as you would have them do unto you. No, 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 those are gone. Those days are gone, right? This is better. This is a better commandment. As I loved you, you are to love one another. And then a few years later, the apostle Paul comes along, and he took that command, that overarching single new command that Jesus gave, and he began to apply it to all kinds of relationships in all kinds of situations. And one of the relationships he applied it to was marriage. And that's what we're going to be looking at next week to see how Paul applied that, that single command to the marriage relationship. And he did it in one of his letters to an ancient church, some Jesus followers in an, in a, in an ancient city called Ephesus. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, he says, And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. And we read that and we're like, walk in love? What in the world is that about? What does that look like, right? What does that mean? Well, he tells us exactly what that means later on in the chapter, and that's what we're going to spend most of next week looking at. But in the meantime, all right, your homework, right? A couple of questions here. Number one, what's in your box? What's in your box? You need to know what's in your box, right? Because one of the reasons you put pressure on the person you love is because you're not sure what's in there. And if you're not sure what's in there, you can be sure your spouse doesn't, right? And at some point, there's some confusion in the marriage, and they're not sure how high to jump or how low to duck. What's in your box? Write it down. And if you're not married yet, you should still write these things down because eventually you're going to bring that box to someone. That's just what we do. And the second question is, are you expecting someone to carry that box around for you? Have you handed that box off, either intentionally or unintentionally? Is somebody living with the extra weight and the extra pressure that they weren't designed to carry? Have you either intentionally or unintentionally put added weight and pressure on somebody you love? 
and now they're carrying around the weight, the expectations of your hopes, dreams, and desires. So what's in your box? And have you handed it off to somebody else to carry? Answer those questions between now and next week, and we'll pick up there. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for, for not leaving us clueless about love and how to have a, a happy and fulfilling marriage. And even though many of these things are not intuitive to our selfish, carnal nature, as we look to you in your word, and as we progress through this series over the next few weeks, make us teachable and willing to trust you. And as we do, as couples, begin to apply these principles, I pray that you would honor your word. And those marriages that might be broken and stalled by the side of the road, bring health, healing, and hope. Those marriages that are not broken or stalled, but those good marriages, show us how you can make our good marriages even better. But most importantly, show us how we can be more intentional about including you in our marriage and family. And then one last thing, if you're here this morning or maybe, you know, you, you, at some point in time you had a relationship with, with God, but things have happened and maybe, maybe it's because of your marriage, you know, caused things to happen and you got a little bit disillusioned. It would be my honor and privilege to lead you into a personal relationship with him. And if this is a point where you're thinking, yeah, I already prayed to receive Christ before, that's fine. That's fine. But come on, you know, deep inside, you know. That relationship is not where it used to be. It's not where you want it to be. And it's certainly not where God wants it to be. Either way, here's what I know. The Bible says if we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that we would be saved. So no matter where you're at in your faith journey, it's time to take that next step. So if you just want to repeat the simple prayer that I'm about to pray, to say, Lord Jesus, I do believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. I believe that he came to this earth and died, died for me and my sins, all those things that I've done that, that hurt you, God, that, that hurt others and even hurt me. So please forgive me, Jesus. And I do believe that Father God raised Jesus from the dead on the third day. And I'm asking now that Jesus would come and live inside of me, inside of my heart, right now, by his Holy Spirit, and help me begin to live my life for you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.